So another crazy year in college admissions, 2023, saw a number of major developments that Peter is going to crystallize for us. He's also going to look ahead and give us some advice for 2024. And he, as the chair of our college planning practice, and, and also someone who has been in charge of college planning at independent schools in the Northeast, South, and West, will give a, a broad perspective and he'll crystallize a bit what the 20 of us of counselors saw as we crisscrossed the country and also traveled to Europe and other countries to visit on foot to see what's going on on the ground and also attended and presented at national conferences and graded notes at our regular staff meetings about college practices. All right, Peter, it's a crazy time in college admissions as the chair of college planning at Macmillan Education as, as the past chair of college planning at independent schools, both in the Northeast, the South, and the West. What are some of the big changes that you've seen in the past year? And what do we have looking forward to in 2024 in this dynamic time? It's great to be here with you, Don, and I uh, am with all the families and students out there. I think that what's interesting about this time, there's certainly no risk of being bored. Dynamics of the landscape are changing. Uh, very quickly um, and in a lot of really interesting and important ways. And you know, I think that um, just a few years ago, obviously March of 2020, when uh, you know the world, in, at least in our country, stopped and pandemic kind of stopped education in its tracks. Uh, there's been so much over the last three years reorienting of ourselves. Uh, you know, colleges reorienting themselves and thinking about their path forward out of the pandemic. Families and students thinking differently about the path that they're going to be on uh, when they're making choices about higher education. You know, and so I think in some ways this past year, um, a few aspects of interest. You know, in terms of that you know, continued disruption and then the, the way, you know, the things that that's meant for our families and, uh, and for our students who are in their search. You know, one piece is just the continued increase in competitiveness at the most selective schools, um, which seems a little bit ironic in some ways and that there's been a lot of predicting of the arrival of a demographic cliff in the U.S. where we're going to, we, we do have fewer U.S. students, uh, high school students going to college right now than there were several years ago. But the, at the same time, the increase in international applications, as you pointed out from many times in conversations in our group, not always from traditional sources, right? There's been a, a big influx of international applications. But additionally, as there's been continued emphasis on you know the uh, the idea of education as a brand culturally too uh, you know it seems to have placed even more of a premium on the you know on the most competitive schools additionally the test optional policies of many competitive schools um, have made students uh, feel that they're more accessible the irony of course is that this idea of test optional admissions is something that was going to level the playing field for applicants. Um, has actually just made them immensely more competitive, um, you know, as people, you know, take advantage of what they see as an increased opportunity. You know, that's manifested itself in a school like Northeastern University uh, this past year. Their admission rate was 5.6%, uh, which was lower than Harvard's was just 10 years ago. When I was a kid, Northeastern was kind of a commuter school and the prototypical backup school, now it's incredibly selective. And in fact, out of all of our students from across the country and around the world, it's the most popular choice for this year's kids. So you're saying that even with a demographic dip, 
uh, that we're seeing increased competitiveness, partially due to the test optional piece and kids applying without testing. What are some of the other pieces you're seeing in the kind of big picture of, of college admissions? I think that uh, there's a the flip side to that increased competitiveness at the most selective schools. There are plenty of colleges and universities that are actually struggling with enrollment. And so while there's been a, you know, a real kind of focus on the competitiveness of the most selective schools. There are a lot of colleges and universities that are working really hard right now to meet enrollment goals and that are uh, forming creative practices to do so, right? You know, there are uh, an increase in the number of schools offering direct admissions where they make offers to students who have not even applied, who are qualified, um, you know, through Common App and other platforms. There are schools that are seeking ways to connect with students in different ways. They're offering different opportunities for students to present themselves in brief videos and in other ways in order to find ways to connect with students and make applying easier. And so, we have this barbell effect of the most competitive schools being the most selective they've ever been, but then a, a lot of other colleges and universities getting creative in their uh, pursuit of enrollment goals. I noticed in the text that you wrote that we have on our website about the trends of last year, you mentioned about the impact of artificial intelligence, and just a second ago you mentioned videos. Are colleges going to do more um, assessments through things like projects and videos and interviews? because they're not quite sure who actually wrote the essay. Was it the kid, the 17-year-old, or ChatGBT? That's an interesting question because I think there are multiple big picture happenings that are impacting the, um, the pursuit of those kind of uh, you know, opportunities for kids to express themselves in the process. One, as you noted, is the advent of AI. I shouldn't say the advent of it, you know, the, the kind of arrival and the bigger picture of admissions and, uh, you know, and education of AI in this last year. Got a lot of colleges and universities thinking about ways to, uh, to authentically know who students are, right? If essays are going to be increasingly more difficult to, uh, to get kids to share things that are authentically only theirs. What are the other ways that they're going to get a sense of kids? And so there's a platform that a lot of colleges are using this year, uh, you know, where they give kids an opportunity to produce brief videos, 90 second videos um, to share about themselves that may well become one way that colleges use to substitute for supplemental essays that, that were uh, that were offered in the past. And then I think. Yeah, a little bit, you know, and I, I, uh, I don't pass any judgment on that. I mean, I think in some ways kids may really like the opportunity to uh, to share in this way. Although, again, you know, uh, students who have the means and the time and the, you know, the um, the support to put together highly produced things, you know, something that um, I know will cause some cynicism. But I think in some ways a ninety-second video uh, is you know, a perfectly valid and interesting way to try to get a sense of a, of a student and what they're all about, which is valid as a lot of the pieces of writing that are, that are asked for. You know, we may see, uh, you know, some uh, brief writing assignments that kids are asked to do in a, in a kind of digitally proctored way, um, where, you know, to kind of ensure that writing that's being done is theirs. We may see uh, new emphasis on interviews at some schools, you know, whatever ways they can personally connect. I think the other thing that is influencing uh, this influx of 
uh, alternative, you know, ways for colleges to get to know students is also the uh, the Supreme Court decision uh, this past year, you know, banning the use of race as a consideration in admissions. One of the one of the many um, resulting aspects of that uh, of that decision, with a lot of colleges and universities wanting to provide students an opportunity to talk about the communities they're from, to talk about identity, to talk about uh, you know the circumstances of their lives that have brought them on the journey that they're on. We saw a huge increase this year in a number of essays focused on that topic. You know, basically tell us who you are, use this as an opportunity to talk about your identity, about your family, about your community. That's something that students are being asked a great deal and I also know that a lot of colleges and universities are exploring you know these uh, video and interview opportunities as a way to continue to gain those insights on students in ways that they're no longer permitted to do on the application or that they feel no longer permitted to ask on the application so that's another factor that's influencing the Supreme Court decision also is having other impacts as you as you know well, and as people might imagine, um, but not in all the ways that people expect. There is a, in the public square of conversations about higher education and college, um, there's a lot of very politicized debate about that decision and about, uh, you know, kind of the, the right or wrong aspects of, uh, of utilizing race and admissions. I would say that so one other aspect of the uh, the Supreme Court decision that it's also causing ripple effects in other areas of admissions, right? So, you know, I think it's fair to argue that the number of places and slots of highly competitive schools uh, where, you know, factors such as race, um, you know, played a role um, were far fewer than the public perception of, you know, how important those factors may have been in shaping a class. Um, and yet, we're seeing more and more people applying to the most competitive schools again with this idea that they now have an increased chance. So I don't think we're gonna see any, uh, any way in which admissions becomes less competitive because that, you know, that perceived barrier has been lifted. Have you noticed anything with that, that decision where they've been put in question other sort of privileged areas such as legacy, uh, children's of alums and Athletes. That's the other piece of it, right? Is that with discussion about what's fair or unfair for consideration, there's been a lot of public scrutiny um, and a lot of institutional re examination of policies, um, such as consideration of uh, children of alumni as a preference. That in itself is an interesting topic, and in that there are a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of first generation. Uh, you know, black college students who now have kids in the process, um, you know, and they might benefit from legacy admissions for the first time just at the moment that people are talking about doing away with legacy. Um, but it's, you know, there have been a number of colleges and universities that have used this opportunity as a chance to re-examine their policies on legacy admissions. And there were a number of schools in the last year that made the decision that they were no longer going to prioritize children of alumni. That conversation will be ongoing, and I expect that we'll see more of that in the coming year or two. Peter, given what you've synthesized for us, where despite dropping numbers of teenagers, increased competitiveness at moderately and highly selective colleges, partially due to the test optional 
landscape, do you need the ACT, the SAT, or neither, and the disruption around the Supreme Court and artificial intelligence. Can you pivot and look forward a bit? How are you advising your students and also the Macmillan Education College counselors to look ahead in terms of what advice you give parents and kids for 2024? Yeah, I think the test optional piece is important, right? Because that's a question that's front of mind for a lot of uh, a lot of students and families as they contemplate the process. We're in an interesting moment with uh, standardized testing, where I think there is a um, there's a backlash effect happening publicly right now. You know where the um, a lot of media attention being paid to whether uh, bringing testing back now that we are out of the pandemic um, is something that furthers the goals of, uh, of higher education or not. A lot of effort on the part of the testing companies to make sure that people are uh, paying attention and asking that question. You know, there are studies that have been focused on highly selective schools that show a higher value in the uh, in the admissions process than in predicting you know success than. Uh, than some other factors, even including high school grades. There are broader longitudinal studies that do not show that at all. You know, in the end, this debate is causing a lot of uh, really well-resourced and really smart institutions to make very different decisions. You know, we have some schools that are adding standardized testing requirements back, uh, you know, notably schools like MIT and Purdue in the last couple of years, in the last year, I should say. And at the same time, you have other schools, including Columbia University, that have said that they're going to keep the policy um, for the foreseeable future. And so I think that it's a very individualized discussion about what to do regarding testing. In general terms, we are advising all our students to at least initially pursue uh, you know, preparation for and engagement with the SAT and or ACT. But with each student as they progress through their journey, um, we're looking carefully at the developing list of schools, at where they're coming in and their initial efforts at testing and at practice, and then helping them make decisions very specific to their journey about just how much they continue to engage with testing as they go forward. That's great to hear. And then in terms of timing, Peter, when you and I and many of our colleagues were running college counseling offices in school, it was typically maybe February of junior year that you got rolling. How has the increased complexity of the process and the fact that you're working independently um, potentially changed that timing? The traditional uh, management of a college process in junior and senior year, um, a lot of the a lot of the pieces of that have remained relatively consistent. I think it's wise to get out ahead of the testing piece in a pretty intentional way. But I think what all of this has led me, us in our work and you know, others who are doing student-centered work in this process to focus on, I think that the, the kind of chaotic nature of the process itself and of everyone's perceptions of what the requirements are to get into selective schools. And, you know, it's so easy to start trying to shape your journey based on these, you know, grasping at straws and different, you know, kind of aspects of what are out there as conventional wisdom about what colleges are looking for. I think it's a really important time for people to recognize the unhealthy nature of so much of this dialogue around admissions. You know, when you have three and five and eight percent admit rates at a wide range of schools, um, instead of spending an entire high school career feeling as though you're already you know, behind and can't ever possibly do enough. Our work with kids earlier in the process is really focused on their development. 
you know, and uh, one of the things I really appreciated, you know, in our practice this past year, while there was so much going on in the admissions world and the admissions landscape, we put down everything this summer not to do a big study of, you know, college admissions, but to focus on, uh, you know, on the book Never Enough, which really focuses on the toxic nature of achievement culture. And our whole practice kind of stopped and thought about that um, as a group, which I really appreciated. Our work with students right now, you know, we are trying to do more earlier with kids, but that focus is on their development. So when we talk about extracurriculars, um, we're talking about the things that they love to do, how to gain deeper experiences in those things, how to get more fulfillment and insight and uh, excitement out of those things, and how to build the best experiences over their four years of high school and beyond and the things they're involved in. When we talk about summer, we're not saying, oh, these colleges like when you do this or when you do that type of program. It's really what are the opportunities in the summer to dig deeper in the things you love, to gain growth, to become a more fulfilled person. And so for some kids that is scooping ice cream or working on another job, babysitting. For some kids, it is uh, more focused on academic you know, experiences, not to gain an advantage on a transcript, but to dig deeper into the things that they're exploring that they love to do. But really helping students stay focused on their own fulfillment, their own growth, them taking a path that is authentic to them, and then also trusting that that's gonna to lead to them being the most fulfilled and successful college applicant later. But really doubling down on student growth is you know, and on their own path and their own selves is something that we're steadfastly committing to and that we're hoping that our students and families feel that from us. As you know, we added an early college, you know, uh, you know, program to what we do, focused again, not on earlier work and putting together lists or in, you know, focusing on the college world, but really helping students feel intentionally connected and committed to their own growth and fulfillment before they get to the the heat of 11th grade when the process really starts. You're talking a lot about growth and development and kids making natural choices where we hear a lot of folks coming to us saying, what should my child do? What are colleges looking for? What does the admissions essay reader want to read? And I think, Lord, I'm hearing you say, and I've heard you say in our meetings with the 20 of us directing our practice that really part of the way to deal with this incredible disruption and complexity right now is this sort of Zen paradox of continuing to support children. And that's why we do what we do. We love hanging out with kids. We love visiting campuses and let them go through these natural stages of growth and curiosity. And that's going to lead to better outcomes. I think that's really well put. And I would also just say, we clearly owe it to our kids and our families to be incredibly well informed about everything happening in admissions, right? So there's no, there's no backing off of that commitment to be deeply committed to connecting to our admissions colleagues, to being out there at conferences, to being involved in discussions happening about higher education right now. We really owe it to our families and students to be deeply knowledgeable about you know, everything going on in admissions. And with that, we also then owe it to them to not turn it into uh, just a game or, a, uh, you know, or to create the notion that, uh, that the goal is then to twist and warp themselves into a palatable applicant in this very chaotic and not very healthy current climate around it, but instead to let that knowledge give them confidence that staying focused on themselves and their growth is gonna make them not just the most fulfilled young person, but also the most compelling applicant. And I think 
that's the balance that we have to strike. So, I mean, are the college climate and, you know, college, you know, kind of perception of different activities and all of that is, will be part of the conversation, but it's not the sum total of it for us, right? It's really focused on them remaining whole and growing authentically into themselves through the process. And I think part of, you know, what gives them the confidence to do that is when it's clear that we understand the landscape well and that we're sharing it with them really thoughtfully. Um, so I think that the commitment doesn't change you know, to our understanding the admissions world, but then we want to be experts also on our kids, right? And to help them become experts on themselves, able to separate, you know, their whatever anxieties or worries that they might have about the process from their path, right? And that's really our main aim. Well, that's a great synthesis of last year and uh, looking ahead to this year, some good advice and for the full text, check out uh, MacmillanEducation.com and also our LinkedIn posts. And thank you for your comments. Thank you, Don. I appreciate the opportunity.